1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, Colin, welcome back to another Silver Club podcast. Uh, before we get to our guest today in Global Golf Post, John Steinbretter, the senior writer and travel editor and course architecture guru for Global Golf Post, we've got to talk first about NCAA college golf. The finals were played recently at the Blessings Course in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, if our listeners haven't haven't listened to the recent podcast we did with Lance Ringler, the college golf insider from Golf Week. You've got to check that one out. Uh, but this this last two weeks was really all about college golf. What an amazing showcase. Uh, amazing that it's 72 holes and then, and then two days of match play in prime time, or at least the first day. Uh, what, a, what a congratulations to the Stanford Cardinal, Conrad Ray and his team. Uh, I have so much respect for that program. We we got to see them at the regional, and I I had I had, I, had, I didn't get around to predicting them in our call with, in our conversation with Lance, but I I had meant to. <laughs> Either way, they won the they won the Pac-12. They 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 ran the tables this spring. Uh, I'm familiar with a couple of their players. I um, Brandon Wu and and Henry Shimp were. I had recruiting conversations with, and I feel like I can make the case for Yale against just about any school in the country. And I, you know, it, with the exception of Stanford, it's the one school where, where when a kid calls me and he says, Conrad, made, you know, made an offer. I don't even, I don't even push back. I just congratulate them. <laughs> I, that is a, uh, you know, talk about a program that sort of really has uh, student athletes and at the highest at, at the top of their game athletically and academically that's that's impressive the weather sure is a little bit better out in uh, Palo Alto I would say too overall but uh, <laughs> the, the golf course at Yale is yeah it, you, you have you certainly have that in your back pocket but uh, yeah definitely kudos to Conrad Ray and and the Stanford Cardinal and I know they've got Tons of congratulations from uh, their past alumni, from Tom Watson to videos from Tiger Woods online, and uh, that's that's very cool stuff. And uh, you know, continuing the legacy out there, and and can't forget the ladies. The ladies the week before uh, the Wake Forest women's team uh, was was very close. I I, I pull for them. I, I living in Winston Salem, uh, North Carolina, like I do, uh, right near campus. I certainly. I'm a little biased on that on that respect, but uh, the Duke Blue Devils uh, gave them all they could handle. It was a really close match, coming right down to the end, uh, and and there was uh, three of the match, three of the five matches went extra holes in that. Uh, Duke narrowly beating out the Demon Deacons three to two uh, in that five player match. Uh, and so it was, uh, and, and actually <laughs> to, to show how I think, I think the cool thing about match plays, it's so unpredictable. 
and you 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 see how the matches play out. Um, one of Duke's players, Gina Kim, uh, actually lost her match to uh, one of Wake Forest top players, Amelia Miglaccio. Uh, they, she lost one down, but she didn't let that deter her. Yesterday, she went out uh, in the first round of the U.S. Women's Open and uh, is only one shot off the lead going into the uh, the second round. So, uh, but, but college golf is alive and, you know, college golf in, uh, in the Carolinas for sure is, is, uh, is certainly alive and well. Um, uh, let's, let's I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what, oh, that, that match between Texas and Oklahoma state on the men's side was, was compelling. You know, it's, it's amazing that you're right. That five V five in match play where you can only sort of win or lose a point does neutralize the advantage. Like, you know, Victor Hovland and Matt Wolf can only account for two, and they didn't even get a, you know, Cole Hammer ran, just, just blitzed him after being down. I think I think he was down 20-plus 20, 20 strokes to uh, to Wolf in the in the, in the stroke play. And, exactly. and it's amazing. And then all he has to do is pretty sick the first nine holes, and he's on his way. And uh, I, was, I was loving the sort of – the action on the 17th and 18th holes there uh, and the birdie from the kid at Texas, that was insanely clutch to come in there with a towering five iron and, and, and a must make, but it's incredible. It's incredible. The uh, vicissitudes of match play in that format and having everything on the line there. I, that was as good as that was as good as golf, as golf theater gets in, in, in any level at any time. And, and I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah. You're talking about Steven Schiavone from Texas who beat Zach Boshu from Oklahoma state in the 19th hole, basically in the dark. Uh, you know, yeah. some, some, some of the uh, commentators may have claimed that I uh, heard Aaron Oberholzer mentioned that, uh, you know, maybe it was too dark to really finish that match or, uh, but it was, it was very dark, but uh, nonetheless, uh, Shervoni from Texas in that semifinal match uh, got to get the best of Oklahoma State uh, on the 19th hole, and that was, uh, I'm sure, really, really sweet. And especially for Texas, uh, getting to that final, nobody expected it really. They had three freshmen on the team this year, uh, led by freshman sensation Cole Hammer, like you mentioned, uh, uh, who's a Western Amateur champion last year. And uh, Cole Hammer is a uh, he's a special project uh, prospect. Uh, for the professional ranks really soon. And hopefully he hopefully he gets his degree at Texas. And, you know, he, he still looks like he's about 12 years old, but he plays like a, like a yeah. seasoned professional uh, all, all day long. The one, one thing I, another takeaway I took just as a college coach was after the match, after Oklahoma, you know, stayed and Texas finished, how tremendously um, um, humble Bratton and Fields were. Um, you know, I, I, you, 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 Oklahoma State built up as this juggernaut and I was, I really admired how in the moment and, and how sort of, um, thoughtful, uh, the OSU's coach was and, and then how sort of gracious and humble on the Texas side. I have to, I was, I really admire that. I, 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 that was an, that was a, a, a terrific takeaway. Those programs are lucky to have each of those coaches. No, no doubt. They, they handled the loss with uh, a lot of dignity and, and respect for the game. And, and at the end of the day, that's what really separates this great game of golf from every other sport you play out there. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no Bobby Knights out there 
Yeah, I uh, we I don't want to I don't want to take a dig at a, another um, at college varsity facility. Um, I have to admit that watching that uh, watching a couple of days of golf on the blessing uh, not exactly wet my appetite to get out there. I might get killed if I try to keep a metal score around that golf course from the back. That uh, that. What's interesting is how arbitrary and how penal and how just totally demanding uh, that golf course was. The poor commentators had to use the word penalty area about 150 times, and this is in the semifinal match. Uh, what what were your thoughts about watching watching that golf on that course? Yeah, that golf course is definitely uh, on the difficult side. I don't know what the slope and rating was, but uh, had to probably max out the the uh, the USGA system in that realm, but I, I, I you've got to hand it to a, to a, a facility though. On the other side, you really have to hand it to a facility who's able to host both both weeks. It's a huge. It's it's one of the biggest asks of all in all of tournament golf. I think to host back to back weeks. You're 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 holding your golf course hostage essentially for two weeks and. You know, to to have the, the college game come in, and and there's there's only certain facilities in the country that can really do that, and and isn't the talk really to move the NCAA out west to uh, to Arizona, kind of like a permanent home? Uh, maybe you can speak on that a little bit more. Yeah, so Lance touched on that. He sort of shed light on the fact that they want a sort of specific time zone, and and you're right, it's 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 less onerous on a facility if you're in the. Arizona desert to give up your golf course for two weeks in late in the second half of May and early June. And so, yeah, they're moving out to a sort of um, a site in Arizona that will have it for four or five, I think, years. And, it, and it's, I, I, that does come with a sort of unfair recruiting advantage to an extent. And uh, But I, I, as Lance sort of articulated how it's, it's just sort of it, it's where they're going. Um, but at the same time, I do – I about blessings um it did identify it was compelling peter um the best uh, the best sort of individuals in the world were at the top of the leaderboard the best teams made their way in um fortunately in college golf with five score five players per round you're gonna eventually you're you're gonna settle it's you're gonna sort of you're gonna find the best players but me, I saw I saw a lot of shots. One of my least favorite things about certain types of holes is where a shot that's, um, within ten feet stays on the tier, and it's, and a shot that finishes twelve feet releases seventy feet away from the cup. And it's just there's too much of a sort of a sharp edge of sort of what constitutes a good shot versus what can sort of like you know push down the slope off the green. Yeah, no, it's certainly a fine line there, and uh, but. But yeah, it's a uh, yeah. It was a difficult golf course, and uh, but uh, you know, it. it uh, yeah, I think it. I think it uh, identified the team that that was playing the best. Uh, Stanford, the Stanford Cardinal. That was their fifth victory in a row. Like you mentioned, they won the Pac-12s. They won some regular season events coming in to this postseason. So winning five events in a row, a pretty spectacular way to finish the season. And and another in another spectacular finish. Um, out at Bandon Dunes recently uh, in the U.S. Amateur Four Ball, the fifth iteration of this event. Todd Mitchell and Scott Harvey, you got to give them kudos. 
uh, for taking the title out there in the four-ball championship. They beat Logan Shooping and Blake Taylor 2-1 and one on the classic Old McDonald course out there at, at Bandon Dunes. Uh, and uh, you, you might... a couple 40, a couple four, how about some 40-something, right? Right, Steve? Yeah, Let's go. They're both 40 years old, right? Yeah, yeah 40, I think 41 and 43 and beat up on a couple of college kids. Uh, you got to love it. One both have um, one was a you know U.S. Mid-Am champ. The other runner-up. Uh, one had Walker Cup experience. So, what's interesting to me is that the USJ schedules this event essentially to eliminate the college golfers. I mean, I know they two of them from East Carolina made it to the finals, but it essentially uh, conflicts with the NCAA championship in a way that uh, does. The uh, event towards towards uh, the mid amateur. So, well, I, I th- uh, look. I think that's plenty fair. The, the college guys, you know, they're going to have such an advantage anywhere they go and play on the amateur scale. And you know, this 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 mid this U.S. amateur four ball it definitely gravitates itself more towards the uh, you know the true the true amateur golfer yeah. out there. And I I, I mean I, I think it's just you know getting more popular by the year. And, uh, you know, Scott Harvey, he'd been playing some great golf leading into this. He won the Coleman Invitational at Seminole uh, within the last several weeks. And uh, so just just kudos to that duo for capturing uh, the gold medal. They, they get to, you know, I think it's cool that the USGA champions, they get to they get a gold medal wearing around their neck as well as the trophy. So uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, uh, finally, cool. before we get to John Steinbrenner here, we have to talk. Uh, women's U.S. Open championship real quick. The Country Club of Charleston, uh, a solo Seth Rayner design in the low country in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, some of the greatest template holes in the world. Uh, Seth Rayner and his, uh, the, the, the man who really led him on his journey, C.B. McDonald, uh, created. But this was really a, a Seth Rayner uh, solo project in the low country. Um, you know, you, you got to love these template holes and all the the uh, adaptations of the Redan and the v- reverse Redan. Have you ever got a chance to play Country Club of Charleston? I love it. I love it. There's two wonderful Rainer gems in that area. There's Yaman called a little more famous until now, probably. Um, it's a relatively flat site, but yeah, there's probably. There's not a green with more contour than that reverse and par three. That will be uh, interesting, Peter, to watch these negotiate that hole and avoid sort of ping-ponging back and forth. And it is getting a lot of press that this is the first Rainer design to host a USGA championship. Quite quite surprising, despite all the um, all the old clubs, all the old Rainer clubs, with all the USGA kind of connections and pedigree. But um, I'm very pleased. I'm so happy for. Our friend Kyle Franz, um, so happy for the uh, for see his, his his talent and renovation and renovation work there. He's, he's a really passionate individual. I'm so pleased for Forrest Norvell. He's uh, sort of you know uh, Dunlop White is to Old Town what Forrest is to is to Charleston. Uh, he sent me an email about three years ago out of the blue, just uh, expressing how much you know, as he was doing research on Rainer and I helped him with, uh, helped him select Kyle, uh, sort of an inside job, but, um, 
I couldn't be happier for the club, for Forrest, for Kyle, and for the USGA to have this event for the ladies. I'm I'm uh, thrilled to watch the event this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And I'm uh, I'm actually lucky enough to do some of the the Fox Sports digital coverage on the uh, U.S. Women's Open app in USJ.org and Fox Fox Sports Go, and so uh, all our listeners can check that out uh, on all the. Uh, all the outlets there and, and yeah, there's, there's just, I mean, that 11th hole we talked about, you know, the diabolical reverse Redan, it, it actually played, uh, the, the whole location was actually in the easiest position for round one in the back, right. And it still played the most difficult hole, uh, ranking wise of any had the most double bogeys, uh, of any hole yesterday. So, I mean, a lot of people actually have, you know, they think about that hole as really a short par four and, you know, laying up to the front left or, and then just kind of pitching up. If you can, you have to avoid the bunkers completely and, and on that hole completely. This, this Redan might become uh, more notorious than the seventh hole at the Redan at Shinnecock if by the end of the weekend. That's a, that's a sensible play. Everyone who grew up in the Met section, and every, everyone knows the, the legend that, Wingfoot about uh, laying laying up in front of the third green there. Each day, um, Billy Casper did it in route to winning. And by the way, Portrush, I, I'm pretty sure in the in 1951 Open, the, uh, the the calamity hole was played by laying up from that green. It's not there's historic precedent for laying up on a par three and, and eliminating two and five from the equation. It's uh, You'd be, if you're in the lead with sort of eight holes to go, it's not a bad idea. Well, the USGA, to their credit, and Shannon Rulliard and the the whole United States uh, Golf Association field staff, they they set that golf hole up uh, very fairly. The the green the green had plenty of moisture in it. Uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't rock hard by any means, and it was playing into the wind a little bit too, so the players could kind of land the ball a little bit softer into that green. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly. Uh, be paying attention very strongly to that hole throughout the championship. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it, it's uh, it's it's always exciting to watch some competition, and and we just we love we love all the competition. Well, listen, I'm I'm thrilled uh, I'm I'm thrilled to see Rainer getting his due. I grew up caddying at the Country Club of Fairfield for. And at times, uh, one of my regular loops was John Steinbreeder. He's one of my all-time favorite guys. Um, the, and I discovered recently, looking through old archives of of um, the Country Club of Fairfield, that the oldest scorecard uh, from the courts has the um, 18th hole on that. The original routing, what is present day ninth hole, the Redan hole, beautiful, beautiful par three on the high sort of high ground on the course. That was the that was the 18th green. The course ended on a on a par three, Redan, uh, stunning stunning golf hole. One of the one of the first golf holes I ever saw and, and innately understood um, that it was that there was all the sort of compelling architecture and strategy all boiled into one hole. And it, little did I know at the time that that was sort of the most copied and famous hole in the whole world. So. <laughs> Love those templates everywhere. All right. Well, uh, always great talking with you. We'll, we'll chat with you real soon next time in our next podcast, Colin. But let's, let's get to John Steinbretter. He is out. Uh, we recorded this out at uh, – he was out abandoned dunes uh, during the U.S. Amateur Four Ball Championship recently. And, 
And he's going to talk to us about some of those travels he took to St. Andrews over in Scotland and some of the great golf he played over there. We're going to get to John Steinbreeder in just a moment. But before we do that, I just have to mention we couldn't do this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society. We're creating a great competitive amateur society this year. This is our inaugural season. We've got 12 events on the docket this year, playing some of the greatest golf courses in the country. We've got our second major of the year, the Jackpot, coming up in Atlantic City, Hidden Creek Golf Club. Great core Crenshaw design out there. That's coming up very shortly Uh, June 3rd to the 5th. We've got a lot of great venues coming across the country from Quaker Ridge to the Inverness Club to Pasa Tiempo out in California. Just creating a great competitive amateur society full of great players all across the country. And we just uh, really enjoy talking to people each and every day and creating really just a great group that shares in all the camaraderie that innately revolves around the game of golf. So if you're interested in competing on some of the greatest golf courses in the country, check out our website, silverclubgolfingsociety.com. You can also see us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. The Silver Club Golfing Society, if you want to come out and hit shots that matter, this is the place for you. All right, let's get to John Steinbretter right now, recorded from Bandon Dunes. Okay, we are really pleased here at the Silver Club Podcast to bring back our good friend and senior writer, travel editor, and course architecture editor for Global Golf Post, Global Golf Post Plus, Mr. John Steinbretter. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Steve. Great to be with you and everybody else out there. Oh, always great. Now, yeah, you you said that you. You're spanning the world with everything that you're doing with Global Golf Post, and you were just over in St. Andrews, and you, you played some great golf over there. Uh, do tell. Well, I had, a, I had a really wonderful couple of weeks. I was in St. Andrews for a week, which is, you know, just the absolute best as far as I'm concerned. It was my 31st trip of my life to St. Andrews, believe it or not, so I was, uh, I feel very much at home in, in what they call the home of golf, and and, and did something for travel feature I'm going to write that's kind of unique. Um, I, I just planted myself in town there, and I stayed there for uh, uh, six, seven days and didn't leave. Just kind of walked uh, to the first tees of the uh, the new, the Jubilee, the old course, uh, ate in town, drank in town, walked around town, and didn't leave and just stayed there. And it was a really fun trip because you're not worried about driving places. You're not wearing yourself out of driving all over the place on the wrong side of the road. And, and um, you know, they're very, very tough over there with the drinking and driving. So you can't <laughs> imbibe in uh, post-round pints um, as you might like to. And it was a really great trip. The uh, weather was a little chilly. Uh, we had a good uh, drenching rain one day. But for the most part, it was uh, it was a spectacular experience and great fun and, and got to play uh, some wonderful golf and just, you know, get us sense of the town it's such a great wonderful old town and it's all about golf and you just see people carrying their clubs through town all the time young and old alike and for those of us who love the game there's just not a better place in the world i don't think yeah that's that's the coolest thing about about playing over there all the all the golf courses really the 18th hole kind of just comes right into town and and you just uh you know when you're finished your round you can just kind of float over to the bar or or whatever and I remember uh, hearing stories about at the uh, British Open over at St. Andrews of how 
you know, the caddies would be staying in a local place uh, just, you know, right down the street from from the first tee. And they would be walking right through town with their players clubs uh, right down to the to the first tee. Uh, that's a that's a special uh, experience there. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, we, we can't wait for a Royal Port Rush this year and the British Open and and all the you know all the golf that's played overseas like that. But you had a couple great rounds, a couple back to back seventy eights, huh? I mean that's uh that's that's solid playing over there. Not not bad for an old man. <laughs> and um, you know it was really it's a lot of fun and and of course I played the new you know the uh, I played the old one day when it wasn't blowing too much and managed to seventy eight on that and that was after bogeying. 17 and 18 so i felt like a bloody fool there because i had three footers for par in each case and uh got a little carried away i mean coming in as you say playing into town like that it's just the uh the enthusiasm builds the uh, uh the emotions build it's just so extraordinary it's such a different golf experience for those of us in the states you just don't have that where you know, you're playing into this town you can see the spire of the saint angel cathedral saint Andrew's cathedral which was built in you know 1158 and uh, which was sacked in the 16th century during the Scottish Reformation and sort of, you know, burned to the ground what they could burn. Um, you know, and these spires of these various churches and the old buildings there in town just are getting closer and closer as, as you walk your way in. It's really pretty amazing. And uh, I had a great round there and, and a very good round for me in the Jubilee as well. And I think, you know, the new and the Jubilee, and people say this, but it's, it's, it's really true. Those are two of the most most underrated golf courses in the world. And if they were anywhere else, they would be or would constitute in and of themselves, you know, must visit golf destinations. It's right. um, They live a little bit in the shadow of the old there. But when you get to the length of St. Andrews and you can spend um, your time playing those three courses, and I say this to people all, all the time, I'm sure you're the same way, you know, it's it's great when you're at a place, play the same course two or three times, get to know it a little bit, get to know its nuances, you know, give yourself a chance to go low or as low as you can go and uh, and uh, appreciate them a little bit as opposed to, uh, you know, playing 10 courses in 10 days and just wearing yourself out and not really remembering or knowing or having a chance to get to know a golf course in that same way. Yeah, you see a lot of different hole locations, you see... I mean, I think that's the greatest thing about the game of golf and how it differs from all the other sports that you see and you play out there. The, 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 the playing field per se is it's ever changing, whether it's wind conditions, whether it's you know, rain or firmness or what have you, or the, where they put the hole on the green really affects, uh, how you can score and how you think about the strategy. So totally agree with, uh, playing many times are, are there other courses maybe over here in the states that uh you feel like you you know the more you play it the more you love it yeah i mean i find that especially in the older courses i mean i've been fortunate enough to play in the singles out at the national golf links of america uh, a number of times maybe 10 or 12 times and you know that's a golf course it's, it's one of the greatest courses in the world to me and it's so full of subtleties and every time i play it not surprising, a course with a lot of link style characteristics to it, and you know, template holes for the British Isles that McDonald and Seth Rayner um, crafted out there, and that's one. Garden City Golf Club in Long Island, another one. Seminole is another one to me that just you know the subtleties of those courses. The more you play them, the more you understand the uniqueness of the design, the brilliance of the design, and the things that they demand of you. 
you know, that's what makes a course great to me is, is, is the ones that you keep coming back to. And each time you come back to them, they reveal something else or you discover something else and, um, and just understand and appreciate more and more the, uh, the genius of the people who put them together. And oftentimes in those own courses, you know, worked with what the land gave them and weren't moving a lot of earth and doing a lot of manipulation and trying to make and create interesting holes off of what the uh, good Lord had endowed them with uh, from a terrain standpoint. For sure. Now, yeah, you, you talk about you know, the, the, the golf course architecture world and your involvement with that, with Global Golf Post. Uh, it's important for me to note that uh, you are out at Bandon Dunes right now. Uh, this is the U.S. Amateur Four Ball Week. You're out there uh, going to be doing a little covering of that. And you're also... Uh, taking a little sneak peek at the new Sheep Ranch golf course out there at Bandon Dunes. Uh, and you, you saw that the other day, I, I, uh, I understand. Yeah, I got a tour out there on Sunday. I was there for a couple hours uh, late in the afternoon. And it is just spectacular. I had uh, heard about it for years. Um, I had never been out there before. And what it was was – 13 basic green sites that Tom Doak had put together uh, for, for Mike Kaiser and uh, and Mike's partner, Phil Friedman, uh, um, in the greeting card business back in 2001 and two when Tom had just finished up Pacific Dunes. And I don't think they were sure what they were going to ever do with it, uh, uh, but they bought the land because Mike and Phil did because they, the land was available and abutted their property. It was extraordinary property. But Mike was pretty extended, you know, banded. Dunes had just opened. He was building Pacific Dunes. And so nothing really came of it. It became sort of this cultish, you know, if you ask the right person the right question, you could sneak on there. <laughs> uh, there were no teams of note. There were no, um, you know, rhyme or reason to it. And because of that, you really could only one group a day could go out there and that was it. Huh. And it really, um, it was a kind of a cool spot. And then a couple of years ago, they decided that they were going to finally develop it. And turn it into an 18-hole golf course. So uh, they asked uh, uh, Bill Corn, Ben Crenshaw to design it, and it's you know on its way, and it should be open for preview play this fall, and and open for public play next summer. And nine cliffside greens, water views on every hole. Um, it's one of the most spectacular pieces of property I've ever seen in my life, and uh, as best as I can discern, not having an architect's eye. It looks fantastic, and you know we everybody loves what you know Bill and Ben do, and and of course you know Kaiser's involvement always um, looking over, and uh, and this is the first time his partner Phil has ever, ever been involved in a golf course development per se. So he and he and Mike are you know old uh, college buddies who you know made millions in the greeting card business, and now are doing this together. So it's kind of a fun you know final act or you know late act in life for them. It should be spectacular, and uh, it's called the official name is like Valley Bandon, uh, the Sheep Ranch or Sheep Ranch, and everybody just calls it the the Sheep Ranch, and it really is. Uh, that listen, people are saying this could be the best course out here by when all is said and done, which is pretty high praise, and I can't wait to see it finished. Is that the I guess the fifth course out there? Is that is that is my math correct? I believe, yeah, that'd be the fifth 18-hole course because you've got the preserve, wow. which is a 13-hole par three course, and the abandoned, of course, which turned 20 years old uh, this year. Pacific Dunes, abandoned trails, 
and Old McDonald. So, so by my that'd count, be, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be the fifth. Worst. Yeah, actually, be, yeah, it'd be the fifth full eighteen holes. Right, right, right. No, that's uh, that's what and, a destination. What think, a destination. Oh, just makes what I think is the best, you know, golf destination of in America, especially for those of us who like traditional link style golf, which is what this is all about. It's just even better. I mean, it's if it, if it wasn't on your list for whatever reason, now it. It's, it's got to be on it, and uh, and and it's also a place to revisit. You just never get tired of the golf out here, and just the whole ambiance of the place. It really is. As you know, I was in Skyland, like I said, for two weeks, and I come here almost directly from there. It's it's like I haven't left the uh, the British Isles. <laughs> that's high praise. That's high praise. And yeah, so we we spoke uh, back during the Augusta National Women's Amateur, right before Jennifer Cup Show captured the title there. Uh, you were kind enough to talk to us a little bit from the grounds of Augusta National. And since then, really in, in early April, you've traveled, uh, other than Scotland, you've traveled a few other places. Uh, you know, what, what, what are some of the, the, you know, give me a special story from your, your travels recently because, you know, we're, we're all living vicariously through you. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, after St. Andrews, I drove across the country of Scotland and, uh, to a little town called Kenna Craig. And grabbed a ferry over to Iowa, and uh, which the Macri Links is located. And Willie Campbell he built this in the early 1900s, and 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 Willie was the first um, you know golf professional at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. And his wife Georgina was the first women uh, female golf professional in America. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he you know. Um, designed this course in the dunes here in uh, in Isla that had a lot of blind shots and and, and was you know sort of a difficult not terribly highly regarded length it's been revamped and recently reopened as as the hotel that is on the property and I want to tell you it was one of the most delightful four or five days I spent out there the golf course is just superb um, really really uh, classic beautiful links golf uh, the hotel is lovely right there. And again, just like in St. Andrews, you know, you get up in your room, throw your bag over your shoulder and walk out to the first tee. Uh, you, you can't beat that. Uh, the wind was up. The, uh, you know, the dunes were uh, were absolutely magnificent. And then, you know, they've got eight or nine. And I, I, I sort of lost track because you can understand whiskey distilleries on the island. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was able to augment my time. I'm there with uh, golf in the morning, a little whiskey in the afternoon, and they also Isla is where they make the botanist gin, which has become a wildly popular uh, gin with 22 different botanicals, and it all from the island itself. That is pretty spectacular. So I thought that was one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life, and uh, I also spent about nine days down in Morocco in between everything for the Santu Trophy and the La La Merum Cup. Uh, both of which are on the European tour, the ladies European tour for the Lala Merum and the Hassan too for the men's. Yeah. And, uh, they have just revamped over the last couple of years a 45 hole complex out at Royal Golf Dar es Salaam. They're in the capital city of Rabat and we hmm. did the red course, the blue course and the green. And so I wrote a lot about that and, and the changes to those golf courses and, just the sheer splendor of what I think is one of the great golf destinations in the world in a really, really nice country. Now that, that sounds like an awesome trip to, uh, to go. You know, you're racking up the, uh, the frequent flyer miles for sure. Now, what, uh, you, you are an author of, of over 20 books. 
I'm told. So what what yeah. what is what's the latest book that you're working on? And you know, give us give us a little peek behind the curtain on on what's what's going on in the mind of John Steinbrenner in the book world these days. Well, I'm very lucky that I've been uh, creating a little bit of a, a, a business here and doing club histories and, and, and books of that sort. And uh, one of those I'm, I'm finishing up right now. I've had 20 published of all kinds of books. And, and uh, one I've done recently is for the uh, the Royal Moroccan Golf Federation and Prince Moulay Rashid on the renovation and the revamping of the Royal Golf Dar Salaam courses. And that'll be out next uh, spring in time for the 2020 edition of that tournament. And that's been a great story because it was uh, uh, the prince's father that started this um, idea to do this golf complex in the late 60s. He got Robert Trent Jones Sr. to design the courses. Uh, he created the Hassan II Trophy in 1971, the year after it opened, or really the year that it opened that fall. Or- Orville Moody won it. Um, Billy Casper wanted it a couple years later, and it's kind of been off to the races from there. And I've been having a great time doing that. I've become – I've been in Morocco now, I think, 15 times. I just wow. love that country. I love, I love the people and the exotic nature of the uh, of the land and the great hospitality there. And then I'm doing club histories on Saucon Valley, uh, which has hosted multiple USGA events nice. down in um, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It was originally, of course, started for the Bethlehem Steel Company in Boston by that company, and then Catanzit, which will be hosting the 2002 Senior Amateur, that's located up in Marion, Massachusetts, a classic William Flynn golf course, right, right on the water, uh, part of the course, then it goes into the woods and comes back and ends up on the water. And it's, it's just one of the great unsung golf courses and clubs in America. So those are my three my three books kind of underway right now, and, and they're great fun just because of the history of the places who – you know, who designed them, who started them, how they started. I just, I really enjoy that aspect of golf a great deal. And it's, uh, you know, it's fun. These are very historic tracks. Uh, the Saucon Valley started in 1920, Catanzas in 1922. And, you know, I learn and, and appreciate the history of golf and try to share that with my readers in this country uh, through the uh, writing of these histories. Oh, that's, that's, that's such a special experience. Yeah, to be able to hang around the, the venues that you just named are uh, it, it just nothing, nothing better in the game. Uh, another thing that's nothing better in the game is this, this you're out of Bandit Dunes right now, this U.S. Amateur Four Ball Championship, relatively new. This is one of the newest USGA events. I believe this is about the fifth year uh, of this uh, national championship that the USGA puts on. Uh, today's the round of 16 out there. And uh, we've got we've got some great matches going on, and a few of the matches that piqued my eye. There's there's two of them. Number one, uh, you got Todd Mitchell and Scott Harvey uh, are there. Scott Harvey, uh, he's a uh, he's a North Carolinian, uh, and he lives in, just outside of Green, just in Greensboro. And he uh, he just won the Coleman Invitational down at Seminole not too long ago, so his, his game is pretty hot. And uh, then another match, a few matches later, uh, you've got a few of the stalwarts in uh, in the mid-amateur game, uh, in Stuart Hagestad with his partner Derek Busby, and Matt Parziali, uh, who we've had on the Silver Club podcast in the past, uh, with his partner Herbie Akins. Uh, that that will be a great match. Are you going to get out there and watch any of that and, uh, and uh, you know, 
tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of what you've seen maybe so far being there the last few days. Yeah, I'm definitely going to head out and wa uh, watch a little of that because uh, Stu and Matt are playing against each other and they go off at 824. So I want to see how that sort of works out. I'm also, you know, Scott, of course, is, is such a stalwart and such a great player. So that'll be a, a good match. And I'm, I'm sort of watching uh, the match went off second this morning with Kyle Williams and uh, and Greg um, uh, Berthelot, I believe is how you pronounce his name. But, um, you know, Kyle just retired from playing in the NFL after 13 years with the Buffalo Bills. He's a defensive lineman. He played uh, in six Pro Bowls and has almost, I think, 50 sacks in his career. And, um, you know, you just can't imagine. I mean, when you think of uh, NFL players playing golf, you think, think of maybe quarterbacks or, or, or uh, secondary people. But to have somebody on the defensive line playing and playing as well as he obviously is, that's not something you expect. So he's out there. So I'm going to be doing actually a column on him, and I'm looking forward to, to writing about him. It's been a great show, you know, few days. This is such a fun tournament, I think. It's amazing to hear the stories. Uh, people really, really love it. You know, you, you get these guys. And, of course, let's not forget Randy Haig. I'm sorry. Randy's in the match right now. And he and his partner, Jason Anthony, are two up. And this is Randy's 32nd USGA championship. And uh, wow. I saw him briefly yesterday. I mean, what a stalwart. And he is 60 years old. He's still he's still crushing it. And I give him a lot of credit. And he's out here with the kids because there's no senior division here at the uh, at the four ball. But it, it's such a great tournament to see. uh Old college roommates, old high school buddies are, are, are sort of able to reunite and find a way to connect and play golf together. And it's really one of the great um, things that USGA has done in recent years is put this tournament together. You, you can just tell to a man, I have talked to so many of these players over the years, they are so happy that this event has been created. It gives them um, a chance to really enjoy golf in the way so many of us enjoy it, which is as a you know best ball team event. And, and and also just to, you know, connect with buddies that they haven't been able to play with in a long time or to, you know, get that opportunity to go out there and compete with people who are parts of their golf lives. And it's instead of being an individual 72-hole stroke play event, you know, to have this kind of fun. So you can you see it in everybody, father and son team, brothers mm -hmm. and brothers, um, brothers-in-law. brothers I mean, that's what you're getting right now with Bobby Leopold and Tyler Cook. I mean, those are brother-in-laws. And I think uh, Bobby Leopold was from Rhode Island. I think his father-in-law is on his bag someone can only imagine the um you know the emotional baggage that's going on there and literally <laughs> figuratively but i mean yeah. you know it's just great all of that it was a like two brothers from fairfield connecticut from country club of fairfield you know one of them is a member the other one works on the green you know crew there and is is, is you know the assistant superintendent and they they qualified and they were out here playing they missed the cut by a, a couple of shots but it, it's been great fun to watch and it you know and you, like you say we've got some real stalwarts here and we've got some newbies that you don't know that well in this and it anything can happen in match play and it, it, it should be a great uh finish today they're doing 36 and then tomorrow you know going down to the semifinals in the morning and the finals in the afternoon very cool yeah there's nothing like team golf team golf is this is yeah uh, this type of format really yeah it's it's anything that you might play on a uh, weekend morning with your buddies at the home club. I mean, this is this is that type of format. So it's a it's a best ball format, and uh, a yeah, very very special addition to the USGA schedule in these last few years. Uh, before I let you go and get out there and watch the matches, uh, talk to us just a little about what's going on at Global Golf Post and 
you know, we've got you've got Global Golf Post Plus showcasing a lot of uh, fantastic stories and uh, just just really some of the you know some heartwarming stories, some really insightful pieces. Uh, talk about maybe a, a piece you've done recently that uh, you'd love to chat about. Well, sure. I mean, I, I think uh, Global Golf Post, which is our Monday edition, um, and that's coming out. I, I just don't think anybody covers golf in that regard as we do. And I had sort of a cool little thing that came out um, uh, yesterday, I guess. You know, you and I are talking. I can't even remember what day of the week it is. We came out on Monday the uh, on the 27th. On um, We have a little opening uh, section called The Divot, and I wrote about being in St. Andrews. And how all things lead to St. Andrews golf-wise, uh, you know, we all, as, as the Bible says, we all come from the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And in golf, uh, I say with much more plausibility, we all we all do come from St. Andrews. And I was uh, thinking of being up in the cathedral in the cemetery there and seeing a, uh, the graveyard, the gravestone for uh, Alan Robertson, the first professional uh, in golf, and the connection to my golf world, where I grew up playing the Country Club of Fairfield in Fairfield, Connecticut, which is a Seth Rainer course. And, and think of this real quick. Alan Robertson um, was a great club and ball maker. He hired a 14-year-old kid named Tom Morris to be his apprentice. So he uh, got Tom to help him make these uh, gutter percher balls or these feathery balls in his kitchen, which he sold out through the window, which was made his kitchen the first pro shop ever. Wow. Old Tom becomes uh, Tom Morris becomes old Tom, opens up a shop in St. Andrews, has a locker room in it. And, and he uh, rents out a locker one year to a young student at the university at St. Andrews named Charles Blair McDonald. Uh, McDonald gets to know old Tom. They play golf t- together in the old. Um, they hang around and talk in the shop. Uh, McDonald comes back to the States. He he builds Chicago golf. Then he goes and he builds the National Golf Links. And he's out there looking for an engineer for his project. And he hires a street surveyor from Southampton named Seth Rayner to help him do that. <laughs> and then Rayner's, one of Rayner's first independent jobs is designing Country Club of Fairfield in the teens. Uh, so as I'm walking around this graveyard in St. Andrews, I'm thinking that the guy who designed the course I, I grew up playing and the course I grew up playing has a direct connection to the first golf professional who was a St. Andrean who's buried right at, at this place I'm wandering around. I, I mean – so that was one of the pieces I just wrote for uh, the current issue of Global Golf Post. It just talked about how all things lead back to St. Andrews and golf for us. And um, so we have a lot of that. And then in Plus, it's where I write my course architecture pieces. It's where we do a lot of uh, what we call long-form journalism. And I just did pieces on Garden City Golf Club. And, and then the redesigns over at World Golf Dar Islam, just talking about these developments and these tweaks and these, and these evolutions and these great golf courses and kind of who's orchestrating them and how and, and things of that sort. So I think if there's anything and everything you want to read in golf, you can find them in both those uh, sites and publications. And I encourage people to check them out. They're really, really good stuff there. Well, the golf, the game of golf is certainly a worldwide game and global golf post. Uh, I have to say they're a wonderful partner for us at the Silver Club Golfing Society and uh, you just have some fantastic stories. And it's really cool how everything always comes full circle, doesn't it? And, and uh, you know, touring St. Andrews, whether it's the, the graveyard over there with old Tom Morris or Alan Robertson or what have you, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's as close to a religious experience as you can get by going over there. 
Uh, I have to let all our listeners know you can check out uh, your your Twitter site, uh, your Twitter handle, Steiny at the post, and on Instagram at John Steinbretter. Uh, that's J O H N S T E I N B R E D R E D E R. Excuse me. E-E-R. And uh, but yeah, you're you're all over the place. You've got some amazing stories, and John, I really appreciate you carving out a few minutes of your day to spend with us on the Silver Club podcast today. See you. It's always great being with you. I look forward to seeing you down the road. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, John.